There we go. So you came in today, you had a, got a program, and inside of that program, there's a connection card. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if it's been a while since you filled one out, fill it out. All right, you can fill it out anonymously. Um, we want to be praying for you guys. Um, and uh, song ideas, stuff you want to hear about. Um, we're, we're beginning to put together our fall teaching series, uh, just starting to think about that. So if you have anything you want to hear, hear about, topics, scripture, uh, anything related to God, church, or Jesus, uh, write, give us some ideas. Write them down. We, we definitely would like to hear, hear those. Also, uh, we humbly ask that you would financially support Restore Church. You can do that on our website, or you can do that through our app by downloading that. And as we kind of say around here, if, if, you, uh, if you feel like uh, maybe giving to a church is not your thing, or you've kind of capped out where you're at, find someone or something that you believe in and give to them or give to that organization. We want to be a generous community. <clears throat> Some things we got coming up. Last week, uh, we're celebrating the launch of our student ministry. So Ian Howard is our student ministry director. He's not here today, uh, but you're going to see a couple pictures of that crew that started uh, last week here at Ascension, we played some capture the flag. We played, what was the other game we played? I can't remember, but it was a lot of fun and we sweat a lot. So we have two students that are in the Restore Church community that fall within that age range. We had eight show up, including five kids who have never been to a Restore activity before. So we were really excited about that. And the energy level, uh, I don't know if you've ever been around sixth to eighth graders, but the energy level is way up there. It was awesome. We had a great time. There's going to be another event coming up in August, so be praying for Ian for that launch. If you want to get involved, be a student ministry leader, let him know. I'm sure he would love to have you get involved. Also, uh, in about 10 days, 11 days, uh, we're, I'm leading our next trip to Greece to serve Muslim refugees. So this will be Restore's, <clears throat> I think, fifth trip that we're involved in, if I remember correctly. It's fourth or fifth. And there's going to be five from the Restore community going and then three from our sister church in Baltimore. They're called the Foundry. Um, we're really excited about this particular trip. We're going to have some newer and unique opportunities to engage um, the, the refugees that are living in Katerini, Greece, uh, with regularity. Um, every day we can kind of hang out with the same people. And I think we might have the opportunity to build some, some deeper relationships than we've had in the past. In the past, it's been more about relief and I think we're kind of entering the phase uh, with our ministry partners in Katerini where relationships are being built. And frankly, our hope is that dignity and humanity are restored. Um, these are people who have faced um, people trying to kill them um, as they have fled and as they have entered other countries. And they have been treated by, by like dirt for a number of years, and we have the opportunity to engage with them and, and hopefully help them remember that they are beautifully and wonderfully made and that they are cherished and that they are human. And we hope that they feel that um, and, and begin to kind of be restored as they learn how to kind of start over in a brand new place, brand new country. And then a big, our biggest annou announcement, we're going to be moving back to Sunday mornings starting in September. We're really excited about that. We're going to meet at 10.30 a.m. Uh, on Sundays in September. Our venue is going to be Mixed Barn Grill. The adults are going to worship there. That is the, the barn grill that is right up the stairs from the living room. And Kid City will have the run of the living room. The entire living room will be theirs uh, for fun on Sunday morning, and we'll be right up the stairs uh, in Mixed Barn Grill. We're really excited about that. Uh, we're going to spend some money on marketing for the first time in about seven years. It's a big move. I think it'll 
it, it, if any of you who remember the McGinty's days, um, think McGinty's vibe without the backbreaking setup. All right, it's it, it kind of checks all the boxes we were hoping for. It's a great time slot, great environment, easy setup for worship, plenty of kids space, which is really important to us as we continue to grow. More kids and more kids keep coming in into Restore, and that's going to happen again soon. So we're excited for that. And then in August, we're starting a new teaching series in August. I'm really excited about it. One, you don't have to hear from me at all in August, all right? Uh, you're going to have four different people preaching. Uh, they're going to be, it's going to be a series called Coming In Hot. And we've asked them to pick a topic that they are fired up about and just come preach on it. And so we, we gave them complete freedom to do that. And it starts off next week. Carrie Thomas is going to be preaching August 4th. So I hope you'll um, make it to some of those. Ian Howard is going to be preaching for the first time ever at Restore August 18th. <clears throat> and then Joel Pasmino and Shala Graham. So it's going to be a, a murderer's row uh, of preachers. It's just going to be nonstop fun, stop, or start to finish. And we're going to finish our series today on spiritual gifts. I read a book called What Are the Spiritual Gifts by J.D. Meyer, so I want to give him some credit for helping us define and work through this series. And I was thinking about this last set of gifts that we're going to talk about today. We're calling them the next level gifts. And I was thinking about, have you ever seen someone go next level? And when I think about that, I think sports because I really like sports. And I think about watching you know, maybe it's the World Cup or maybe it's the baseball playoffs or, you know, something where I saw an athlete. I remember a few years ago when LeBron James was on the Cleveland Cavaliers and they were in game seven and he chased down this guy with about a minute and a half left in the game and, and made one of the most incredible defensive plays I've ever seen by swatting away his shot. And I'm like, that's next level. He was probably 12 feet up in the air to block this shot. And I'm sure we've maybe we've witnessed that in sports or maybe you've witnessed that in your career field where someone said something in a meeting or, or led a presentation and, it, and the whole room was just kind of like caught up, like it was a next level moment. Maybe you've experienced that yourself where you're kind of in the zone. Like I don't know where that came from, but that was gold. Like what I just said or did, it just kind of flew out. And that's kind of what we're talking about, that, that kind of thing when it comes to the next level gifts. And there was a prophet who routinely did this in the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And this is a thousand years before Jesus was born. Isaiah predicted not only the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ, but also specific aspects. And in this particular passage, he mentions the spiritual gifts. Not all of them, but he mentions some of them. And he talks about how Jesus will have these. And so that's how we're going to close our series today. Brilliant. Uh, we're going to close it with a prediction and remembering that these spiritual gifts were long awaited. We really needed these to show up in humanity, and they did, and then Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit who then gave us these gifts and distributed them amongst the people of the, uh, uh, amongst humanity. So it's an ancient supernatural tradition that we are living into. Um, and if my memory serves me correctly as we read this verse, I think this is the very first time in the Bible that we see spiritual gifts mentioned. And Isaiah writes in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight, 
in the fear of the Lord. Now, there are seven gifts that are mentioned in that small little passage. There's the spirit of the Lord, which was new. Like, wait, what? The spirit of the Lord. That's new. Then there's wisdom, counsel, understanding, knowledge. Um, Hold on. I have a typo. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have an extra word in here for some reason. There's spirit of the Lord, wisdom, counsel, understanding, knowledge, might, and then fear. And when you see the word fear in scripture, uh, you'll see that throughout. Think of it as a synonym of like reverence, awesomeness, like being speechless in in, in the uh, presence of someone or something or some event. That's what fear of the Lord kind of means when you see it in scripture. And Isaiah mentioned seven spiritual gifts, and that's no accident. The number seven uh, represents perfection in the Bible. So Isaiah predicted not only would the Messiah, Jesus Christ, have these spiritual gifts, he would have them to the level of perfection, the ultimate bar of gifting in humanity. And then all of our gifts come out of that perfection. And here's where we've been over the last four weeks. Uh, There's 26 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Um, We finish it today, but here are the previous gifts that we've mentioned, and you can go back and listen to each teaching on these. And I would recommend that. Uh, There are the relational gifts, apostleship, exhortation, which means kind of the gift of encouragement, like encouraging words, hospitality, mercy, teaching. Then there are the practical gifts, giving, administration, leadership, knowledge, and wisdom. The physical gifts, service, craftsmanship. Like there was a clogged gutter outside, and Stephen Lambert earlier had a contraption that he had created. He had crafted together to unclog the gutter. It was pretty neat looking, using a piece of wood and a coat hanger. Creative communication, healing, helping, And in the heavenly gifts, we talked about last week, discernment, faith, miracles, tongues, and interpretation. And then this week, we talk about what I'm labeling the next level gifts, voluntary poverty, prophecy, celibacy, and martyrdom. So next level gifts, it seems like these are the gifts when exercised by the person and recognized by the church community that, that these are the gifts that lead to the clearest realization of God's will. People with these gifts tend to have an uncluttered, pure understanding of God's leading. People with these gifts should have, should have an audience of listeners, but oftentimes they're dismissed, which is weird. So voluntary poverty is the first one I want to talk about. This gift is to purposely live in in an impoverished lifestyle to serve and aid others with your material resources. They often view possessions and money as a hindrance to doing ministry. They tend to live among the poor, identify with them, and be one with them. Uh, One person that comes to mind that that has had a really big impact on me through the exercising of his spiritual gift is Shane Claiborne. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. Uh, He lives in inner city Philadelphia. He has for probably around 15 or 20 years now, uh, lives in a voluntary level of poverty. Uh, He grew up, from what I recollect, reading his books and hearing him speak, he grew up in a pretty uh, prosperous household, um, but has entered this life of voluntary poverty. He grew up in Tennessee. He lives in Philly now. Um, And he has for years. He makes his own clothes, and he's hyper-committed to voluntary poverty. I was having a particularly powerful conversation uh, with 
uh, a new friend of mine the other day. His name's Father Christopher Lebsock, and he's actually a really close, longtime friend of Dusty and Shannon Little. Uh, him and Dusty played college football together. And he's a Roman Catholic priest now. And uh, I, I, wanted, I knew we were going to be talking about celibacy this week. And I'm like, okay, I don't know any. I'm not friends with any priests. Um, and so I knew Dusty and Shannon were, so I wanted to, get, I wanted to talk with uh, Father Christopher and, you know, about something that's not personal at all, a vow of celibacy. Like, hey, we've never met before, but can I talk to you about your sex life and about this commitment to celibacy? And he was very open and forthright about it. We, we talked for an hour. It was great. Um, but he had this to say. Um, he mentioned celibacy, but he also talked about some of these other gifts. And he said, the gift of celibacy and poverty frees us up to experience the most intense love imaginable. When God gifts these, it's so that we can be free. The base level passions are food, drink, and sex. Christ is calling us to a higher passion, a higher desire. People living these next level gifts have learned the higher desire. Therefore, they typically have the ability to lead us into a higher desire of God. Like, for example, I believe Shane Claiborne's commitment to voluntary poverty led me to seeing a more Christological perspective of politics. Um, he wrote a book called Jesus for President years ago, and I read it like 12, 14 years ago, and it talks about um, you know, partisan politics, American history, American culture, and it really opened my eyes in a completely new way. I did kind of a 180 in my understanding of this, and it came from his words. Um, and if you have not read that book, read it, please. Uh, it, is, it is a burning bush of a book. Uh, it, it blew me away. Um, it's the kind of book that it, it, might, it might offend. It might bring tears to your eyes. I don't know what it'll do, but people who have these gifts have a tendency to expose God to us in a completely new way. And Shane's, I believe, his commitment and his exercise of voluntary poverty changed my life in a way I've never met him I've never even spoken to him but I read his book that I think sprung out of him exercising a spiritual gift the shadow side of voluntary poverty is that you can expect everybody else to take that on and get legalistic about it like everybody has to live voluntary poverty this is it must be this way and that's not we have a variety of spiritual gifts in the church but we have to pay attention to that gift of voluntary poverty. The next one's prophecy. To speak forth the message of God to his people. The Greek word for prophetes, the Greek word prophetes means the foretelling of the will and word of God. Um, this person typically shares truth before anyone else senses it. And therefore, because no one else really senses it, they're commonly ignored, rejected, or even killed. Because the truth hurts, and it makes people mad sometimes. So sometimes they're actually killed, which is martyred, one of the spiritual gifts we're talking about. Or sometimes they're killed emotionally or relationally. People tend to emotionally or relationally dismiss people speaking prophetically because the truth hurts. People don't like to hear that sometimes. And it tends to hurt even more if you don't believe the truth because someone else is realizing it before you do. Our pride and our ego get in the way of that. And I sense this a lot with my wife, Carrie, who I think has this spiritual gift. I think she gets emotionally and relationally dismissed sometimes because she exercises 
this gift because I think she has an ability to share truth with others before they sense it. And their instinct, their instinct is to question or dismiss. And our culture, I think, this is a cultural phenomenon, and it's, it's, it's an ancient tradition. We have a difficult time accepting prophetic truth. Almost everything, in particular our culture, since the Enlightenment, everything is data-based or experience-based. Everything is modernism or postmodernism, And it's not true unless there is data or experience to back it up. And that's Western Enlightenment's critical flaw. Idolatry like that, uh, or, or it's idolatry of that which is empirical. If we can't understand it, if we can't experience it, if we can't wrap our minds around it, it's got to be dismissed. It's not true. So one, I'm going to give you a couple examples that are kind of general, but we, I see this everywhere. One, one particular example that I see on this side is that in Christians, some Christians have an inability to embrace what I call holy deconstruction, because that's what the truth does. It takes us apart, all right? So um, two common cases of this happening, of this resistance to prophetic truth and to holy dis- deconstruction is one side just flat out resists deconstruction. It's almost as if when he or she became a Christian, they try to bring all this other stuff along with them that has shaped their life, formed their identity, given them a particular worldview. So specifically, I see this happen a lot with partisan politics in the U.S. Because the left side of the political machine has some bullet points and some methods that they subscribe to, and the right side has some bullet points and some methods that they subscribe to, and then people want to follow Jesus, and they want to bring all that stuff with them. They want to baptize all of that. That's not the way it works. We can't do that. Like, we can't baptize those politics, those ethics, or those beliefs. Because the deeper you travel in Jesus' kingdom, the more you're going to have to let go of your previous life. This is what it means when Jesus says, whoever loses his or her life for me will find it. It really means you're going to lose stuff. And it's going to really hurt. It's, it's holy deconstruction. Jesus will participate in, the, in taking us apart and then putting us back together and restoring us piece by piece. And people resist this because it's painful or because it doesn't make sense or because we can't understand it, because we can't wrap our heads around it, because we're addicted to data and to experience. So this is why I critique progressivism a lot because it's rampant in our culture. Christians we aren't progressivists. All right? We don't bring what we've had with us into the kingdom. We are called to die to everything. And then we are resurrected piece by piece. We are not progressivists. We are restorationists. It's a critical theological understanding. If I could get it, like, I feel like I should stand up and like point and yell a little bit. Because it's that, it is that big of a deal in our culture and in, in, in having a healthy theology. The other common case that I see Christians who are deconstructed, but they don't understand that God's doing it. And therefore, they just leave the faith entirely. All right, this is first world privilege playing itself out in people's lives. Christians who have prospered, been educated, celebrated, have it together, have, it, have tasted success, and then pieces start to fall apart. All right, maybe it's theological, maybe it's actual physical circumstances start to crumble. And they either blame God for it or they just resist embracing the pain that they're going through and they reject God or Christ because of it. It's all torn down and they don't embrace 
the, the desire that Christ has and the ability he has to rebuild and restore our lives. This is why I call atheism and humanism first world religions. Because they're religions of privilege. I mean, that's blunt, but it's true. There's a resistance to embracing pain and a, and a resistance to losing prosperity in order for Jesus to heal and restore. And prophets expose this. They are truth tellers. And they are needed desperately in the church. They should not be silenced. The shadow side that we have to be aware of, people who have this gift, you must release the truth that you sense to the church community. Because our faith is a communal faith. All right? It's not one person's opinion or one person defining truth. And I'm sure maybe some of us have tasted that in a church before where there was one person like the pastor, the lead pastor, usually a man, who decides what everything is and what everybody should believe. And that's why we don't do that at Restore because it's dangerous. There's no precedent in Scripture that shows us that's how we should operate. So the prophet needs to release that which is discerned so that the church community can wrestle with it and pray over it. And the church community, when you hear something that you don't agree with or something that makes you feel defensive or offended, do not just close your mouth and don't battle against that. Let it sink in. Let it sit and stew and mess with us. Uh, Because being defensive or being offended, that's a choice. It's not a right. I'm always interested when people tell me that something I've said or done offends them. I'm like, okay, you're not going to get an apology if I don't think you get one. That was, boy, that sounded really bad. But um, it is a choice to be defensive or to be offended. And when prophets expose things that, that offend us or we feel defensive about, it's usually because one of our idols is being poked at. And God wants to bring that idol down in our life. All right, so moving on. Celibacy. To voluntarily remain single without retreat and with the ability to maintain controlled sexual impulses so as to serve the Lord without distraction. It's done in order to devote all of life to one mission or cause so that a spouse or children won't be neglected by such single-minded devotion. So all of the thoughts I'm getting ready to share spring out of my conversation with Father Christopher because I can't speak to this uh, because I've never taken it, live, really lived into that. Um, I guess I did before I was married, but I, 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 it was not something I ever felt like God calling me into, celibacy. Um, so Father Christopher, a man who has realized, accepted, and lived out the spiritual gift of celibacy, um, some of the thoughts he shared, Jesus could have married, but was anticipating a different marriage. Everyone is baptized into the common priesthood of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. You're either a priest or a priestess of Jesus Christ. We are baptized into that, and we have the opportunity to offer ourselves back to him. So when it comes to celibacy, where there's a lack of physical fruitfulness, there's a filling up of spiritual fruitfulness. We can, in remembrance of him, participate in his sacrifice by sacrificing ourselves physically. And rather than remembering the sacrifice of Christ once a year, This is a daily exercise of physical sacrifice for those who have this spiritual gift. Even the Apostle Paul says for husbands and wives to separate for a time of prayer and and commit to a season of celibacy. And when there's a sense of needing to hear from God. If you get what he's saying, what Paul's saying is, if if you're married and you get a sense that 
you're, you need some clarity from God, exercising and realizing this gift of celibacy will actually help you understand God's will for your life, sacrificing in that way. Because there is a, um, you know, you're still living in the world, but you're living a life that is set apart from the world. And there is a sexual ethic within Christianity that is next level. It is high-level ethics. That's part of our calling, is to repress our sexual desires. It's part of this journey, which is definitely not what the world communicates. The world communicates for us to pursue our desires aggressively, whether it's sexual or financial or relational. Like, you can fill in the blank on different types of pursuits. But when we learn to embrace celibacy, whether it be a season or a lifetime, we will be spiritually filled in a new and powerful way. And the church community and the world will be impacted. Your desire and passion for something higher will light a path for others to follow. And then the last one, martyrdom. To give over one's life to death for the cause of Christ. The gift that makes us the most like Jesus because we die. It can't be planned. It can't be practiced. It's a gift we should all be prepared for as it will most likely serve as a story or witness to Christ for years or even centuries. Um, the, the spiritual gift can have centuries of impact on, on the Christian community. It is the ultimate gift because it's the ultimate sacrifice. And all the other gifts that we've talked about build up to this one. All right, they prepare us for maybe that moment. And the more we ponder, the more that we realize the more that we embrace and use our gifts, the more prepared we will be individually and as a church community to lay down our lives for God and for others. And so I'm going to have um, Phil and Carrie come on back up. Um, to close today, and we're closing this whole series, I want to prayerfully ponder the gifts that we've talked about. I want us to close our eyes, relax our minds and our hearts, all right, um, it helps to relax if your hands are empty and you uh, rest your hands, you know, your shoulder, you have good posture, shoulders back, put your hands on your legs. This is the posture that kind of helps us, um, it actually physically helps us relax, to clear our minds and our hearts and be kind of open to a word from God here. Um, I'm hoping as we've highlighted these different gifts throughout the series, maybe you have felt one that God has brought to light, has raised one that maybe he is asking you to ponder, to embrace, to use. And so for the next minute or so, as we have our eyes closed and we're relaxed, uh, I want to slowly read through the spiritual gifts again. And I want you to be receptive to the Spirit's movement here and see if, see if the Spirit highlights one of these for you. We don't often get this chance to just sit and be still and wait upon God. And maybe, he has, maybe God has something to say here. Apostleship. Exhortation. Hospitality. Mercy. Teaching. Giving. Administration. Leadership. Knowledge. Wisdom service, craftsmanship, creative communication, healing, helping, discernment, faith, 
miracles, tongues, interpretation, voluntary poverty, prophecy, celibacy, and martyrdom. God, we thank you for these gifts that you've given us. I know sometimes we either uh, ignore them or um, we don't want particular gifts, but God, I pray that you would speak to each person in our church community, that you would highlight a gift that that you have given them, that you want them to maybe to awaken, that they that someone in this room hasn't realized they have this gift, or maybe they've had it and it's been dormant or unused. I pray that you would um, bring that to light. I pray that we would receive what you have to say, that we would respond to it, that we would be people of movement, of action, of faith, that we would believe even when we don't understand, uh, maybe even when we don't want to use it. I pray that we also be people that would embrace um, that which we might resist, that, we, that doesn't feel good. Um, we know that you are trying to to heal us, to, to break us down and, and resurrect us, bring, put us back together. Uh, we know that you are in the midst of fixing what's going on in us and around us. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see that, to participate in the story, in the work of restoration that you are doing. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.